I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. If you cut down the forest, I will break your knees. Basically, humans have been slowly deforesting the earth, like, since we figured out how to make axes and use fire, but that destruction was normally tempered by a combination of laws, customs, and fears of angering forest spirits. But since the 19th century, things have gotten really out of hand with forest clearances. How can we reverse this trend and protect these vital ecosystems? Hello, and welcome to the Baba Yaga Project. Hi, I'm Margot. And I'm Sonia. And we're historians interested in making cultural history and folklore accessible. We've made the Baba Yaga Project, which is a podcast, a YouTube channel, and a website to build a community and learn from the past together. We hope you join us for all of Season 3, and subscribe to get notified every time we post. Hi everybody! This week, we're talking about trees, forests, deforestation, the woods, the woods, <laughs> or in Canada, the bush. <laughs> These Yankee doodles, I tells ya. We just call it the woods! You going in them there, woods? <laughs> we call it many things, but then Americans come here and are like, <laughs> you killed the bush? Like, that's a sexual thing. And we're like, get your heads out of the gutter. Going well, into the bush okay, is just the no, woods. I think it's that and that people in Ontario say, uh, get your bunny hug, we're going to the woods. And bunny hug is explicitly sexual. It does not mean a hoodie. It means a hoodie. <laughs> no, because, these- because, because bunnies fuck like rabbits. But they also give good hugs. They don't have arms, Sonia! They have little arms. Have you seen bunnies hug each other? They do the little... <laughs> anyway, we're not talking about Canada this week. <laughs> no. We're in the old world because it's my turn to talk. Woo. So it's all old world, all the time. And uh, yeah, we're talking about Trees. Trees. Trees, woods, etc. So yes, trees... Because for season three... Yes. We have... So we've done two sort of cycles, right? The ritualized year, mm-hmm. the ritualized life, and now we're moving on to a new narrative. We're talking about the movement from community to commodification. So how we think about all sorts of different things in the general world as being a... Um, part of the community or a sort of like community-based resource to the system of exploitation and commodification that we currently live in. So precisely. So this week it is my turn to talk about trees and forests and woodlands. And then next week, Margo's going to take it away in the new world and then do that part of part of the world, yes. not part of things. So let's just jump right into it then. So trees are significant in many of the world's mythologies, just the world over. They have a lot of sacred meanings throughout ages because, you know, you can observe the growth of a tree. It grows, it dies, Um, especially deciduous trees, right? They have this cycle of Mm -hmm. like, you know, rebirth in the spring and then in the fall, the leaves change color and they fall to the ground and then there's the death in the winter. So, right, you get a lot of this like cycles of revival and death um they're also of course seen as these powerful symbols of growth right because mm-hmm. most not all trees but many trees are uh you know live longer than a human lifespan yeah um particularly in the pre-modern world yeah 
So, you know, there's this idea, right, of them being these, like, ancient beings, oh, essentially. The old gods. Exactly. <laughs> the old gods, right? Like, you have olive trees that have been alive for, like, 2,000 years <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Um, and they're also, of course, um, when you look at evergreens, right, they stay green throughout the year and throughout these cycles. So they're often consider considered symbols of eternity, immortality, like, mm -hmm. you know, etc. And of course, we have things like the world tree, which is a motif that's present in a lot of ancient religions, uh, whether that's Indo-European, Siberian religions, Native American religions, world trees have cropped up like a cross. The world, right, where you have the branches, which are meant to be, like, the heavens, uh, the trunk, which is, like, the mortal world, and then the roots being the underworld. But let's go back a little bit. <laughs> and we will talk about antiquity. So we're looking at the Mediterranean. You have this sort of lightly wooded lowlands, uh -huh. and you get the small-scale sort of horticultural communities establishing themselves by around 6,000 BC, right? So, like, Neolithic times. This is where we start seeing people growing grains and pulses, but they're also selecting for fruit and nut trees, such as olive trees, fig trees, etc. Mm -hmm. So, thousands of years past, people have been cultivating these trees, imbuing them with meaning and, you know, not just for food, but also spiritually and mythologically. But thousands of years pass, and by the time you're getting into the Hellenistic and the Roman periods, you're getting a lot of population growth. You're getting urbanization, you're getting, you know, city-states and trades, and lots of the sections of the population are moving from, like, subsistence agriculture into a culture that would be somewhat familiar to those of us living today where there's exchange and consumption and trade and you know people living in these more densely urbanized areas mm -hmm. so once we're about at around you know 1000 bc we really start seeing some more technologies around shipbuilding and irrigation and draining and aqueducts right and we start to see that we already by that point are getting a certain amount of deforestation because as the population grows you need to clear land you need more soil to cultivate so you start chopping down trees uh you also need the wood to build these ships <laughs> that uh you know are going to be going out and trading you need wood to build homes to build whatever so really we already see that the forests are under siege like thousands of years ago already mm -hmm. and particularly in the mediterranean right it's a little it's a it, it has a very distinct climate right there's the wet winters but then very little rain during the summer months a lot of the time there's drought which makes fire a big natural hazard and basically it means that the forest is very sparse and open to begin with and once it's cleared it basically stays cleared um this is in direct contrast to, you know, the north of, like, further north in Europe, where mm -hmm. you have these very dense, wet, like... The Black Forest. Yes, like, <laughs> thick forest, right? Like, thick, thick, <laughs> dummy thick forest. <laughs> but, you know, basically, by the 
first century. We have people writing about how, you know, oh, like, is it not so lovely here in in Italy? I mean, they wouldn't have called it Italy quite yet, but... You know, they're talking about like, oh, there are so many lovely trees. We have so many olive groves and citrus mm-hmm. groves. But in terms of like naturally forested areas, it's essentially only the most inaccessible mountain areas that are still right. like naturally forested. So like or or otherwise places that are that, that have not quite been converted to agricultural use yet. Okay. Um. But that is not to say that the Greeks and Romans did not find a lot of meaning still in the forests, and especially in the woodlands that they did leave untouched. Mm-hmm. Right? So when we're talking about the Greeks, they believed that the forest was sort of the original home of humankind and that humans sprang from oak trees or in, in certain other myths that they were you know, first kind of placed there. But the point is, Forest is the original homeland of people in the Greek mythos. So there are these sacred groves in Greek mythology. They are the abodes of the gods, of the tree spirits, um, who would have been called dryads, right? Like Mm -hmm. the idea of these nymphs who live within the trees. And so a lot of the time, certain groves of trees would have been a form of sort of temple or holy sanctuary. And you could have like severe penalties if you decided to like desecrate the sacred groves of trees and that you know serves as a deterrence to clearing because Mm -hmm. everyone in the community is like you can't you can't chop down that grove you can chop down this other area but like that part of the forest has to remain untouched because that's where all the dryads live and we don't want to anger the dryads and we don't want to anger the gods because cutting down a tree that has a nymph living in it would then kill the nymph and then the gods get very mad at you. <laughs> so you don't want to be doing that. There's also, um, you know, very sacred trees. So such as the oak tree is sacred to Zeus. So you would sort of like show some reverence and some respect mm-hmm. for certain trees. Because again, you don't want to anger the gods. <laughs> <laughs> now, when we're talking about the Romans, they again still have this like semi-reverence towards the forest that's not it it is much more commodified by that Mm -hmm. point because more time has passed and again by this point you are seeing a lot more of the forest as a way to accumulate essentially capital and wealth and a way to sort of bring more land under production because in the roman era we start seeing the emergence of latifundia which is you know these big plantations where you have plantation farming where they are using slaves to farm big swaths of land basically it is yeah it's not fun it it's not latte fun (laughs) oh my god no throw me in the trash and i mean we do essentially see this sort of proto private property ish right where you know you basically have a wealthy person who has a bunch of slaves and a bunch of land and they are making money off of that land through trade through industry and through war there's even financial speculation but again there was still a certain amount of you know there was a certain amount of okay nature is still sacred 
please do not destroy literally all of it. <laughs> um, right. So, for example, right, you you do have again sacred trees. So, uh, Jupiter has the oak. Uh, the laurel trees were sacred to Apollo, and then you had um, trees like the olive trees and the fig trees, which were obviously both very useful for mm-hmm. food, but were also considered sacred and something that you shouldn't just be like chopping down and using however yeah but we do in in the roman empire see this sort of proto proto capitalism at least around certain Mm -hmm. certain things this is in direct contrast to again what we're seeing in the north and the east in europe so again when we're looking in the sort of germanic areas and what is you know, what would now be thought of as Scandinavia, like with Norse and Germanic peoples, it's very densely forested. It's very heavily, you know, dummy thick forest. <laughs> and a lot of the trees are basically seen as sacred. A lot of forested area is seen as sacred and you shouldn't be disturbing it too much. So, right, uh, particularly in Norse mythology, you have the world tree where again as we spoke of there's you know the the branches are the heavens where like the gods live mm-hmm. the trunk is midgard where the mortals and regular people and everything in our our world basically resides and then the roots are the underworld and that was meant to be an ash tree so you wouldn't like be chopping down ash trees at random because that's very fancy <laughs> and we also have the uh, essentially trolls who live in the woods. Particularly the Skogsra, who appeared in the form of a small, beautiful woman who was supposed to have a seemingly friendly temperament. But if you look at her from the front, right, she looks beautiful and lovely. But from the back, mm-hmm. she her her back is uh, meant to look like a hollowed out tree or like a rotting log and she has a tail (laughs) okay so you could be if you were enticed into following her into the forest you would never be seen again and if if you angered her basically however sometimes she might uh decide that like okay we can we can be friends we can (laughs) we can be nice and especially if, you know, she seduced a man, right? <laughs> and he was, like, good to her. Uh-huh. Um, he would be rewarded with good luck in hunting and good luck, you know, in any pursuits that he was doing in the forest. But if he was unfaithful to her, then he could be punished with numerous accidents in the forest. So you did not want to anger the forest spirits. Right. We see similar things in sort of, like, Celtic mythology, right? There's a lot of trees that are sacred, whether as symbols or due to medicinal properties. You have the oak tree, which features prominently in a lot of cultures, um, particularly amongst the Druids, right? They had their sacred groves of oak trees. Yeah. And that's where you would get your boughs of mistletoe, because mistletoe, like, is a, um, like, parasitic plant that grows on oak trees. The ash tree was also um, figured prominently, particularly in Irish mythology, and the Ash and Rowan were prominent in Scottish folklore. 
the evergreen yews were also um, kind of symbolized death, but also immortality because you could you, like they would be planted around churchyards and mm-hmm. even into Christianization, they would be planted in Christian churchyards and cemeteries to kind of as a symbol basically of death and rebirth and you know the, the immortality of the soul right and again we have things like just in general the fairies in celtic mythology where again you do not want to anger the fairies no you do there are <laughs> not a vibe not a vibe that you want to do so again there's this respect right where it's like yes i can take some wood from the forest and like because, you know, I still need to build a house, or I need to build a boat, or I need to build whatever, but, you know, you have to be careful about it, and you have to pick the correct trees. Um, you know, you probably don't want to, for example, cut down a hazel tree, because both the hazelnuts and the leaves and the wood all play important parts in these different mythologies, right? So mm-hmm. there's the idea that witches' wands could be made out of hazel, they could be used for divining rods, Um the hazelnuts were meant to give you more wisdom. So, like, you would, you know, they were seen as fairy trees and you wouldn't want to cut those down. Or, like, you wouldn't right. cut down certain groves. We also see things like this in the sort of Slavic, Baltic, Finnish, circumbaltic um, <laughs> mythologies, right? Where, once again, we see... So, we once again see that oak trees are very important. You should not be cutting down oak trees sort of willy-nilly um and especially in that part of the world in sort of eastern europe and the baltics and up into finland most images of their world trees are actually preserved with oak leaves like most of the images we see that have been preserved have been with oak leaves right so whereas in other places it might have been an ash tree here it was an oak tree interesting yes and we also have Throughout Eastern Europe, at least, there are sometimes, um, I'm I'm not sure about Finland, I couldn't find anything about that, but definitely through what is now, like, Ukraine, Belarus, um, Poland, the eastern parts of Russia, you know, Eastern Europe, basically, you have the Leshy, or the Lesovic, who was the forest guardian basically and you do not want to anger the forest guardian he's basically the lorax of eastern europe there that's in the latest season of the witcher isn't Mm -hmm. it yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) sorry i'm also reading the witcher books now nice (laughs) i'm like oh how long have i been talking uh 20 minutes oh perfect perfect okay right so the leshy or lesovic is masculine and humanoid in shape normally, but he is able to assume basically any likeness that he wants to and can also change in size and shape and heights. So in some traditions, right, he is all by himself, but in other accounts, he might have a wife who would be the Lesovica, <laughs> and they might have children who are the Leshonki. Little Lashonki, who helped him out. So, sometimes... Or, in The Witcher, he's like a giant demon who breaks into the Witcher house and kills that dude. Well, you know... Or being 
rude or something. I don't remember exactly what he does. Oh, yeah. Lushy <laughs> is not to be trifled with. He is known to lead travelers astray. He might abduct children. And, you know, in in a lot of stories, he is, right, this, like, scary being, which, again, mm-hmm. makes sense. It's very, um, it's giving very don't fuck with the woods <laughs> vibes. Like, don't do stupid things. It's very, like, Little Red Riding Hood. Like, if you go into the forest, you will die because a wolf is going to eat you. Same, same concept. Right. Hey, kids, don't go into the woods. <laughs> Leshy will steal you. Right. Or, like, if you hear things in the woods... Don't follow it, because it's Leshy trying to lead you astray. However, he is not an evil entity by any means. Okay. In some stories, he also has a more neutral disposition towards humans, and it really depends on their attitudes and behavior of both the individual person and, like, the general local population towards the forests. Right? So, sometimes, Leshy might take children, right? But... It'll be, the story will be, okay, well, he took these children who were, like, cursed or abandoned by their parents, and he takes them to be raised by the forest spirits. Um, And other times he can be sort of helpful, right? Like, if you are someone who respects the forest and is good to the forest, and you've gotten lost, then, you know, maybe he will, like, help you find your way out again, or... Mm -hmm. You know, if you befriend a Leshy, again, by being respectful to the woods, respectful to the trees, he can sometimes teach you secrets of magic. He might teach you, like, some spells or some protective things. Um, Farmers and shepherds in particular would make pacts with the Lesovic to protect their crops and their sheep by saying, hey, like, if you protect our crops and sheep from, like, wolves and other Mm -hmm. forest creatures, like, we will make sure that we are, like, respecting your forest. We won't cut things down we won't let our sheep just like wander off into there and eat everything (laughs) but again if you angered him he has many tricks including leading you astray making you or your family sick or him tickling you to death (laughs) which you know take that one as you will he is also known to hide the axes of woodcutters so if you're a woodsman and your axe goes missing you're like oh man less of it uh, but never fear, if you get lost in the forest and you cross Leshy's path, he will show you the way out, but first you have to turn all your clothes inside out and wear your shoes on opposite feet to trick him into thinking you're a different person, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so again, we have this this being, right? Like we have these mythologies around someone who... I think he's just trolling people in the woods. Yeah, he's absolutely trolling people in the woods. Are you kidding me? It's very much a, like, don't mess with my woods. You cut down my forest, I will break your knees and hide your axe and tickle you to death. So these are all things, right, that I'm talking about um, that are kind of in the, like, pre, pre-Christian right. European imagination. But, of course, like, these things stick around, right? Like, it... it continues up through the medieval era into the early modern period like frankly these folklore a lot of this folklore is still alive and well today like if Mm. you look in iceland they still make little fairy houses and like you know if you go to like a village i'm pretty sure a lot of people will still be like yeah don't mess with the forest man like you don't want to yeah you don't want leshy to get (laughs) you but with kind of the 
medieval era and the Christianization, we get this sort of new wave of ideas around, um, you know, woodlands and forests that kind of become this pan-European, um, like cer- certain things that like, you know, because of Christianization, because of more movement of people in this way that we get this, these, these new ideas that sort of come into vogue, right? So mm-hmm. in the Christian tradition, right, there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, which are both components of the Garden of Eden. So there's this idea, right, of trees as being sacred right. to God, etc. But there is, of course, from the Genesis story, the idea that God has given humans dominion over nature. And we get this idea in the Middle Ages that humans are basically in partnership with God and have acted as the helper or the steward of the earth. And that part of being a person and being a human is completing that creation of taking the the kind of the, the creation that God has already given you and then sort of basically participating in creation by um, like transforming the landscape and transforming these wild places into right. like bringing them into the divine order, basically. Right. Cause they got all out of hand. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's also just very right. Like this idea that, okay, the wild places are not necessarily bad, but we can improve upon them. <laughs> They're spooky. Exactly. They're spooky. spooky. They Too are spooky. not productive, productive, you know. But, I mean, there's also just the pragmatic reasons around this, which, you know, when we're looking at the Middle Ages in Europe, right, the population doubles from... In 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 the year 600, the mm-hmm. population of Europe is about 18 million. Mm-hmm. And by 1,000, it's up to... 38 million. Oh. And then it doubles again to attain a high point of 75 million in the early 13th century. So, like, we're talking in the span of, like, 600 years, you go from 18 million people to 75 million people. Yeah. So, right, like, there is the theological drive, but there's also the, like, we need to eat drive. <laughs> so it's sort of a... put all these people. We need a house. <laughs> yes, we need a house. We need food. It's, so it's very chicken or egg, right? But let's, right. let's start at the beginning. Let's start with the early Middle Ages. Right? So you have this distinctive feature, which is we go from this point, right, where you, you have to modify the environment because of practical needs, but also these ideals that Christianity is bringing into the fold right Mm -hmm. so you have this sort of cultural climate that's encouraging change that's encouraging that people put aside these older ideas of like "Mm, that's really like we can't cut down this grove or we can't clear this part of the forest to like no no that's a good thing actually that is pleasing in the eyes of god for you to like you know cut down a certain amount of trees so that you can have like you know agriculture and then do this right so there's this very right this this idea that your work as a farmer or as a woodsman or as a you know whatever manual labor you are doing is not merely like 
oh, just like making stuff, making stuff. It's this idea that it it's raised up to the level of like you are helping in the divine, divine creation. Cre- like genuinely, it's it is raised up to this point, right? Okay. Yeah. And it's also the fact, right, that there's a big change because we start seeing the shift from a, a lot of this, right, you have the classical world of antiquity where mm-hmm. m- th- there's a bigger population of people living around the Mediterranean. But through the Middle Ages, the population is growing particularly in northern and like it, further north in Europe where before you had these like densely forested areas, but now we're seeing a lot of these plains that are being drained into the Seine, the Rhine, the Danube, the Thames, right? Like all these areas are being more and more heavily populated. So we need to basically like clear out, clear some, space. out some space because <laughs> vast areas of the European continent are being settled for the first time. So settlement in existing areas intensified and then yeah, like people at first are very scared and very hesitant to go and like start clearing areas of woods, but you know, you kind of have to. And it's being done by both individuals who are like I'm a peasant farmer and I have multiple children and they need places to like grow food so we need to do this um but you also have like lay like lay lords like mm-hmm. and and also like ecclesiastical groups right like as we've talked about monasteries before um if you're a monastery and you're trying to feed your like right like a big part of it is that you want to go into the wilderness because you're bringing the light of god into the wilderness right and the wilderness is often forested, so you would clear a certain area of forest. And the the idea, right, is to remove yourself from the temptations of civilization and go out into, like, the backwoods, mm-hmm. clear some land, grow some food. Does this fall into... So, like, in the early modern period, there becomes this idea, like, as people start making more and more effort to colonize North America... Yeah. Um, there's a lot of writing about how we have expelled the devil from Europe through, like... Yes. Yes, it's that, that does exact Does this thing. play into this? Like, is that part of why they're like, oh, we have to go into the forest and clear out these dark, spooky places? Because yep. that's where the devil lives? Um, they're not quite using the terms the devil. Like, that's more of... People in the early modern period are way more concerned about, like, the devil devil roaming the earth than people in the middle ages but in the middle ages it's more so seen as like these are sort of the raw creation that god has given us and it's our duty to go out there like and bring civilization okay to the forest right because the forest is full of and like the wilderness in general right especially in the early middle ages there are demons, there are spirits, there are, right, like, you you have, like, civilization where it's like, okay, we are good Christians, we go to church, we do the things, we whatever, but once you get into the wilderness, it's like, oh, there's, like, spooky spirits, there's demons, there's, you know, you don't know what's going to happen out there. Yeah. So it's our job to basically civilize these uncivilized places which yes um 
when when that kind of mixes with in in the early modern period right they there is still obviously the belief in like demons and spirits and all that kind of stuff right. but the devil becomes much more important like right. culturally he goes from being more of like a like a a like the kind of the ruler of the underworld who's yeah. like sending out his minions or whatever to make mischief into this like no he's a presence in the world he is okay. traveling around he's in the world like you can sign a pact with the devil in the yeah. woods in his black book it's like that's not really what's what people are concerned about in the middle ages like okay. they're much more concerned about like you know the devil sent demons into the forest but like it's not the devil himself yeah, because, like, by the, like, post-Protestant Reformation and post, like, the witch trials that sort of yeah come from that, um, especially in Germany, yeah, like, once that stuff is sort of dying down and people move more and more of their focus to North America, they're like, we have expelled the devil himself, like, from Europe, and now they're, like, fully and totally convinced that he is living in yes. North America. Like, literally, that is where he hangs out, and that is his home, and he is an actual, like, embodied thing. Yeah. No, that's very much, like, because the thing is, and, right, like, spooky the... woods were one of the places where it's like, oh, they're gonna go out in the woods and, like, yeah. have an orgy, and the devil's gonna show up, and then he's going to, like, impregnate them all with, like, demon babies or whatever yeah and i think i think the thing is right um you get a lot of that kind of idea in the early modern period because we have to remember that for people in europe finding out about the existence of the new world like it, yeah. it rocked people's world okay it it absolutely shattered like what they thought they knew about the world like they yeah. were basically had been under the impression for right, like, millennia, that the world was comprised of Europe, Asia, and Africa. Right. And that was it. And, like, you know, w w there was so much reverence and respect given to classical antiquity and to the ancients, right? And, like, there was this idea that these ancient philosophers, like, that knowledge was already there. Like, mm -hmm. we already knew all the stuff that we needed to know, but you need to, like preserve that knowledge right so the idea that like there's new stuff to there's discover. new stuff to discover ah, that all okay. these ancient people could have been wrong that like right because like you yeah. you read about hippocrates right and he writes about airs waters and places right like that's one of yeah. his something that's very important to environmental history where he's writing about like okay this is how people are around the mediterranean which like spoiler alert people around the mediterranean are the best people whereas you know people who live in in the north of europe they are somewhat barbaric because it's it's too cold there for people to be truly civilized and like right. people who live in you know in further south in africa are like hmm, it, it is too hot for them to be fully civilized right like so it's this idea right where everything in the world was in this ordered cosmos where you yeah. have like right you have the microcosm and the macrocosm it's this idea that the stars and the planets their movements impact the earth that therefore right like 
you you can get a conjunction of planets, which right. will then change the um, the situations on on Earth yeah, in terms what of planet like, is miasma, making me sad right now. And, yeah, what planet is making me sad right now? It's that exact <laughs> thing, right? And there's this idea, right, of like where you live impacts everything. Like it impacts your body's physical composition. It impacts your personality. It impacts your whole civilization. Right. right? And there's this idea of keeping balance of all the humors and keeping balance in, you know, that there, there is this bounded world. We understand the whole world. We just need to kind of stay within these. Like we, and then now there's a whole other continent. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, I think the thing is, right, people are like, oh, like, it's so stupid, like, humors and whatever. And it's like, no, like, you read how people thought about things. It's incredibly internally consistent. Yeah. It's a consistent ideology. It's an incredibly consistent ideology where every single thing in the world is linked to every other thing. Right. Like, everything exists within a structured, ordered world. And now suddenly, there's... Two giant land masses that we just didn't know about. Yeah. And we don't know how anything works there. There's people there that <laughs> we didn't know about. There's animals and plants that we've never seen that the ancients didn't describe for us. Like all these things that just do not fit into our worldview. And people basically take it as, oh, okay. Like they, they have to fit this into right. the worldview because again, it's this like, very internally consistent, but very bounded idea of what the world is. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if you have people who are living essentially outside of the world, (laughs) right? Like, (laughs) yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for like, it, it really rocks people's worlds for a long time. And like, arguably it's part of why the enlightenment quote unquote happens because people start saying, huh, like how do we know that how what do we, we know? think we know is right? Yeah, because remember through antiquity and through the Middle Ages, like into and and up to the early modern period, where they start discovering that oh, perhaps perhaps we were very wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's not just oh, we stumbled upon some like a few a few random little islands. It's mm-hmm. like oh no, this is like we missed a lot. Like, we yeah. missed, like, half the world in our explanations yeah. of how everything works. Um, so, yeah, like, that combined with the religious upheaval at the time, like, yeah, it does turn into this, like, well, yes, fine, these places exist, but obviously there's something, you know, we we just didn't know about it, but now we can bring them into the right. world, right? Like, and we see that with colonization, right? Like, mm-hmm. the French coming over and being like, well, we can make them French. Or yeah. like, you know, the Spanish or the or Portuguese. More importantly, we can make them Catholic. Well, yes, exactly. Which <laughs> and in, then eventually, in turn makes them once, they, once they become good Catholics, yeah. they'll start speaking French because it's a more, quote unquote, civilized yeah. language. And then they'll develop like... yeah. And, and I mean, we, we get these ideas, right? Like we also see it in South America, right? Where, mm-hmm. um, the Spanish and the Portuguese are encountering, um, indigenous cultures and civilizations where they have things in their religions that are like kind of similar yeah, to Catholicism, exactly. right? Where there's like, oh, okay, they have priests, they have virgin nuns, they have whatever, but 
big ass temples. Yeah, they have <laughs> temples. They have these like very ritualized um, processions. They have a liturgical year, and they're like, you know, some people get really freaked out about it and are like, no, this is the devil's work, and like yeah. it's an inversion of Catholicism. But you have others who are like, no, no, like look, these people, even though the light of God has not reached them yet. <laughs> They still know the truth on some level. They yeah. understand that they need this. They understand the need for priests and nuns and temples. We just need to help them because because they've Show been isolated. The true God. Exactly. Yeah. They've been isolated. So so it's our job to go out to these people and set them set them on the right path. <laughs> because right. clearly there's good in them. <laughs> we just need to like teach them that they're wrong mm-hmm. on 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 which God exactly, right? So like uh, to to be clear, I am not advocating for this. I am not making excuses for it, but I'm saying like, so that's where all those ideas about like, yeah, the new world is like a terrifying place comes in and like, yeah, okay, it, it, it being especially the forest and stuff being like wrong and disordered and that kind of thing because it's like, this is a place that should not exist hypothetically. Right. Okay, yeah, and it's also um. Yeah, and we see that, you know, with um, the Puritans and everything, where they're like, no, we just need to kill all these people who live here because they are evil inherently. And it's like, oh, no. Maybe don't. All right, but back to the Middle Ages. Yeah, Back to when the the entire world could be encapsulated in three continents instead of six. Roughly seven, I guess, with Antarctica, but no one lives in Antarctica. Just the scientists and the penguins. All right. So anyway. Right. So we have people who are like, we need to eat. So we need to clear some forest. Also, we want to help God in his creation and, you know, grow closer to the divine. So we must bring things under cultivation. However, the forest is still woven into this cultural fabric. Mm -hmm. Right. So people still are not like super comfy just clear cutting things <laughs> and also it provided material existence for medieval society especially for landless peasants or peasants who had a small amount of land the forest was necessary for everyday life that is where you got your wood for heating that's where you got yeah. your materials for you know building your house building your wagon building your your fences your everything right, right. and then you have the arboreal byproducts right like uh, honey and wax because hmm. if you perhaps weren't keeping your own apiaries because that can be difficult and time consuming but you can forage for honey and mm-hmm. beeswax in the woods you can go fowling to get birds you can catch small animals you can also graze pigs right um, and there's also right just things like foraging in general where you can find berries and roots and leaves and all that kind of thing mushrooms. so yes mushrooms like so you really truffles. You you did not want to clear cut this because so much of it was necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's even a Scandinavian proverb that the forest is quote the mantle of the poor. Uh, um, okay. So you know you it's it's sort of this push and pull of we want to be able to have the forest so that we can use the resources that are there. And also, we don't want to anger the forest spirits. But we also need to clear a certain amount of it for survival because we do 
need to have more settled agriculture, right? Because it, in these traditional societies, right, like, you didn't have quite as much settled agriculture in a lot of cases. Um, there was a, a lot more about herding, but as the population grows, like, that's not terribly sustainable. Like, mm -hmm. as you get a larger and larger population, like, you need to have some amount of settled agriculture to feed everyone. Mm -hmm. And there basically becomes, as we progress through the Middle Ages, um, particularly between 1000 to 1300, there's this period of kind of purposeful change where you have the great clearings. And it lasts until the end of the 13th century when activity starts to sort of decline and then ends abruptly with the Black Death in the 1340s and 50s. Mm -hmm. So basically from the 8th and 9th centuries and then up, like you start to see, right, custom, custom laws come up and... To, to an extent, right, there's forest custom and then there's forest law. So there's the customs as in, like, this is an oral tradition that's passed down through the generations about what rights do you have to the forest? And then you have the, like, legal code, forest law, where it's like, you know, the lord or the king or whoever is passing down, like, no, you are not allowed to hunt deer, right? Because, again, the very, very wealthy, especially once we get into the high Middle Ages, they want to keep the forest around to a certain degree because they want to be able to go on these royal hunts. They want that, like, prestige, right? Because if you are the king or the lord, hunting is this sort of symbolic ritual that shows your power, right? Display of courtly ceremony where you can get all these people to dress up and go hunting with you but it's also ritualistic because there's this idea that you are conquering the wilderness and you have the right to rule this land and but also you are a civilizing force because you're the king or the lord and you're going out into the woods and you can kill the wild beasts like the right. boars or get the stag because you are the ruler of this land so they're very particular you know, especially between, like, 1,000 and 1,300, it is very particular about, like, no, you, nobody can hunt deer, nobody can hunt boar, nobody can, like, do that except whoever the lord of the land is. Um, but also we see more and more clearing of forests as, again, this population is absolutely exploding and you're getting more and more demand for even just things like firewood and, like, building materials, let alone places to to um, grow food. But then, of course, the forest does, for a while, get a reprieve because... Everybody dies. Yes, you have the 14th <laughs> century, which, I mean, the 14th century crisis is well-documented, both um, in written records and archaeologically, where you had a series of famines in the early 14th century. You also have a cattle plague in the early 14th century, which means which is absolutely devastating because yeah. you have lost meat and milk and you've also lost draft animals because your oxen are all dead. So then it's harder for you to plow the land, which means it's harder for you to grow enough food to make up for the famine. Yeah. And a lot of the time, you know, so, I mean, we've talked about this in previous episodes, right? Um, the Black Death episode in particular, you can go back and listen to the whole shebang. But the point is you you have this population that's already been weakened by years and years of famine and, mm -hmm. you know, lack of food, lack of protein, and then the Black Death appears. And you just have, like, 
depending on where you're living, you might have lost between a third and half of your population. So you get abandoned villages, abandoned areas, because people just move when it's like, well, <laughs> half the village is dead and we yeah. cannot survive anymore. Yeah, you need a certain number of people to be able to do all of the work that you need to keep humans alive. Yeah. Especially and in, like, a place where there's real winters. Yeah, exactly. And, like, you, you also need to have a certain amount of people who can, like, yeah, like, keep keep everything going, and you need a certain amount of animals, and, like, at that yeah. point, they just don't have it anymore. Yeah. And conditions basically don't get much better in terms of, like, <laughs> stability for the next century, because you have war and pillage throughout the whole countryside, right? You have the Hussite Wars that devastate Bohemia, you have... The Hundred Years' War between 1337 and 1453, which reduced the population by one half to one third in places again. And a lot of settlements were just heaps of ruins, abandoned fields. And then, you know, of course, these abandoned areas get invaded by brambles and bushes and mm -hmm. foliage. And then eventually the forest regrows. Mm -hmm. So for a while, the forest gets a reprieve. But then, of course, the early modern period... Um, we see more and more clearances as nation people, states. nation states, and also just like people building ships because yep. you need trade, the population begins to grow again. Mm -hmm. And then, dun dun dun, we get the new world, which Yay. we'll talk about next week. But yeah, basically you go from, in, in the span of this like thousand years or so, you go from a Europe that is still very, very heavily forested to one that looks quite similar to what it is today where there's mm -hmm. like yes of course there's still forest land but it's much reduced right and basically once you hit the 19th century um just in general throughout the world the wholesale clearance of woodland to create agricultural land has just become more and more common whether that's you know the great plains in and prairies whether that's um, you know, we're seeing more and more in the rainforest, like global deforestation sharply accelerated around 1852, yeah. because that's, you know, you get more and more people wanting to clear land. You have this population explosion. You have capitalism like coming in full force where there's this demand not only for more food, but for more resources and more materials. Yeah. So just to give an idea of how how fast this has been in as of 1947, the planet had 15 million to 16 million square kilometers of mature tropical forests. By 2015, about half of that has been destroyed. So total land coverage by tropical rainforest decreased from 14% to 6%. And most of that loss happened between 1960 and 1990. And there was, I, I do have, I do have good news because Yay. at this rate, the extinction of forests is projected to, the extinction of these types of forests was projected to occur by the mid-21st century. However, not all is lost. Yay. Because people are coming together to reforest places. Reforestation Yay. is a thing. It was and, and can and is currently happening. So we have things like... That's encouraging. It's very encouraging. And that's like, <laughs> I do want to talk about how, like, you know, we talk about community to commodity yeah. in these episodes. And I, I don't want to leave it off on this, like, doom and gloom note because there is hope. And I think that's part of 
like that that's an important part of this is that i don't want it to just be like oh like let's all be sad now it's like no there (laughs) are good things happening you look at things like the great green wall um which is a pan-african initiative which is the proposal to green the continent from west to east to stop desertification Mm -hmm. and it's also helping to tackle poverty because you're employing local workers who are doing like saves the topsoil as well and then there's more agricultural land afterwards exactly so it's giving people jobs like both in the short term and the long term like it's it's giving people a way to sustain themselves Mm -hmm. and this will be a land that is that this should be a strip of land that is 15 kilometers wide by 7500 kilometers long from dakar to djibouti and as of may 2020 21 countries have joined the project so that's very exciting. And we also have in Ethiopia, they have a massive tree planting pro- project called the Green Legacy, which has a target to plant 4 billion trees in one year. Um, in one day, there were 350 million trees planted. So that's delightful. But also, uh, I think Costa Rica is probably the biggest um, like success story that we see of a lot of this, where you had decades of just unchecked logging and two-thirds of Costa Rica's tree canopy was gone. And towards the middle of the 20th century, indigenous woodland covered, um, like, in the middle of the 20th century, right? They had started out with 75% of uh, all Costa Rica was covered by trees. But when the loggers arrived, they basically just had a free-for-all and cleared, like, two-thirds of that. But by the early 80s, People were like, hey, you're destroying the habitats of a lot of a, a lot of creatures and people, and also you're you're hurting the whole country. And basically Costa Rica was like, hey, hold on. We our policymakers are going to restrict logging permits. And we created a National Forestry Commission to police activity in the forest. And as of now, as of well, sorry, as of 2019. Half the country's land surface is covered with forests, once again, which is getting, they're getting there. And a lot of it has also been because they shifted from a um, economy based where like a lot of it was coming from logging to doing things like ecotourism or doing other like similar things where people are using the rainforest in this way, which is very important because it's removing CO2, it's water filtration, it's keeping the topsoil, it's like really doing that right and it's really, really important. And to end it all off, in the 2020 World Economic Forum, they announced the creation of the Trillion Tree Campaign, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about. There was a lot of buzz about it on social media for a while, mm-hmm. which is an initiative aiming to plant one trillion trees across the globe. So basically, my point is, all is not lost. <laughs> Humanity has a long and storied history of deforesting the earth, but we also have a history of reforesting it, and we can add to it now. So if you want to get involved in any way, I would suggest looking into any of those campaigns that I've talked about or looking into your local politics because, you know, basically, if you live somewhere in the world that has a forest, which is most places in the world, <laughs> there is almost certainly a way that you can write to representatives, call representatives, um, get involved with local policymaking and and try to protect these really important ecosystems that help to, you know, keep our planet in balance and combat climate change and provide, you know, both resources and living spaces and, you know, 
an, an ecosystem that's important for everybody. Awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just happy to end it off on this. <laughs> yeah. I am the Lorax. <laughs> you speak are. the trees. You are. And we're going to see you all next time when Devin takes it away to, you know, gives us a better overview of the new world because I have been talking for a long time now <laughs> and it's not my turn anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, if you are enjoying our season three, um, please check out the other parts of our project. So we have a YouTube channel now um, that will hopefully be picking up steam soon. <laughs> with We're our actual doing our best production. And um, you can get bonus information uh, on our Patreon. So if you subscribe to the Patreon, help us just sort of fund this channel because it takes a lot of work and um, equipment and things like that. And we can do so much more um, if we have a little bit more resources. So if you're enjoying how our season three is rolling out, uh, make sure you like, subscribe, check out the YouTube channel, check out our social media, check out our Patreon, do all of those sorts of things. So, yeah. And learn all about forests. See you next time! Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. This project is made possible by our patrons. If you liked what you heard here, please check out our YouTube channel, our social media, and consider supporting us on Patreon. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.